Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of CreReal. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Prendamano Podcast. We have Stephanie Baldrini joining us today. Stephanie is the principal of Monte Carlo Real Estate Investments. Uh, she's got a great story, and she it, it's, again, good timing here. Stephanie has is, is got, uh, got an amazing podcast. Uh, it's called the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z Podcast. Uh, for those of you that are always looking for tips and tricks, uh, it's packed with information. Great guests. Uh, definitely would give it a try. Steph, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, James. I appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. So, you know, you I, I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about uh, your your beginnings, right? You were born and raised on a, a small ranch in, in Brazil. Is that correct? That is right. So, you know, without without giving us a three hour history, how, how do you get from <laughs> a small ranch in Brazil to uh, to, you know, running an investment company and and preparing for scale? Uh, you know, it's a blessing uh, to be here. So I always like to thank God for it. Um, but my parents decided to come here and uh, we came here about 20 years ago, uh, landed in Silicon Valley and started working in tech just by the nature of just living here and uh, decided to start investing in real estate because I had uh, my boyfriend at the time that was a very successful real estate investor. And it was very clear that real estate is, at, at that point I was interested in angel investing. It's a much better form of investment compared to angel investing. So, well, I have to press you on the, you know, you were involved in tech. I mean, you, you were involved in tech in, uh, from what I understand, one of the startups went public and and was traded for like twenty billion, or was worth over twenty billion dollars. Yeah, right now I think they're at fifty. <laughs> so good for 50 them. Fifty billion. <laughs> so <laughs> during that that time uh, in the tech space, what was your work centered around? Sales. Say so always sales. sales. Mm-hmm. And was it tech for uh, for what industry? Uh, for other tech companies, so anyone that is that has a website uh, and is scaling those websites, um, but also enterprise companies, you know, like Salesforce, uh, uh, Cisco, and things like that. Got it. So you get the real estate bug, and you decide that this is something you want to pursue. Um, you know, let's talk, I guess, about that that initial journey. Uh, you know your first deal, I mean, uh, your first official interaction outside of affiliation, you know, how, how did you actually land in the game? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, was with that person at the time, so decided to take as many notes as I possibly could and learn as much as possible. And it did take me a couple of years to finally end up buying my first couple of properties. Um, and it was um, some car washes. And it was just um, a very humbling experience. And, but, you know, the numbers work out so far really well. Um, but 
at this point, it's it, 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 I, at that point, I did not know anything about car washes. What I learned was all in the retail space. And I'm like, how hard could it be to learn about car washes? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are literally more than 100 moving parts, uh, skews and anything that you can and cannot imagine that can happen. <laughs> but the numbers made sense because I was well trained by my mentor to, you know, how to negotiate and how to uh, analyze a property for upside and adding value and things like that. Okay, so you acquired uh, real estate that had leases for car washes, or did you actually acquire real estate Both. and the business? Both. Oh, yeah. so you- So I'm running. <laughs> oh, 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 there's a big difference there. All right, so it's has been not a journey, that... James. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I understand. Okay, so it's not that Stephanie decided, hey, I'm going to go buy my first my first piece of real estate, she decided I was going to buy a piece of real estate with a living business on it that you were the owner of at this point. Yeah. Which, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of them are actual businesses. I think self-storage would qualify as a business. I think multifamily would qualify as a business. Um, so I think industrial retail and office are the ones that are more really, you know, once you negotiate and sign the leases is more mailbox money, but everything else you need to have a manager on site. You need to collect rent and other things. And so I think a, a few, there are a few asset classes out there that are actual businesses. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, you know, in, in today's world, Stephanie, we hear all the time and you see all the glitz and the glamour and the, the, the great <laughs> parts about real estate, right? And and everybody wants to be a real estate investor and everyone's trading in the nine to five to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, but what, what you don't see is, is the other side of it, the sacrifice, the, the stress, and uh, sometimes these really sharp learning curves that uh, you have to adapt and you have to, you have to pivot in many instances because industry now, any business that you buy uh, I don't care what sector it's in, it's, it's in the, the midst of significant disruption, significant change. Um, and I agree that there are uh, certain asset classes like self-storage where uh, you are absolutely running a business, um, but a car wash, uh, I mean, that for me at least uh, on its, its surface would appear to be an entirely different discipline, right? There's mechanical yeah. components. Of course, there's the web presence and trying to grow the business and organic and all of those things that you need to do in the digital world. Yeah. Um, wow. So you're still in those deals now? Still. Yes. Okay. Um, and that was your, <laughs> that was your first <laughs> acquisition. Yeah. Right. Yes. So it cannot get worse than this. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. So you, you make this acquisition, you have a, a sharp learning curve, you're enjoying it. Uh, well, uh, outside of the pain, of course, of the learning curve, you're enjoying it. But what, what was it that once things settled down, what was it that triggered and, and had you say, you know what, I, I, this is what I want to do. I want to go take down commercial real estate and build a portfolio. Oh, because real estate, uh, I heard a friend, a very successful syndicator friend of mine um, who said 90% of all wealth created for the last 100 years was through real estate. And today we can all see with our own eyes that things are inflating significantly and real estate, which is continuous, just a trend. 
and even where I live, you know, for at least the last 70 years that I know people that have been here, every time it, 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 it's crazy, it cannot get higher than this, even in the 70s or the, the 50s, right? So back then they were like, oh my gosh, how can you pay $50,000 for a home here? <laughs> last year it was, you know, um, average on one and a half and today in the same areas too. So it's just, uh, we just have to, otherwise we're just losing money in our savings account every single day through inflation. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, for those of you that didn't catch that last little bit of absolute wisdom, um, as inflation hits, and we've talked about this with fixed income assets, um, even though you're collecting rent and even though you may be collecting a small margin in the bank, you are absolutely losing money as the cost of goods is far outpacing those offsets. And I think even the, the most bullish real estate assets in short order uh, are going to be challenged to keep up with inflation and with what's, what's ahead. Um, so, you know, you, you talked about how, and I remember this, I remember so clearly when I first started in real estate, uh, there's a town out here called Westerly, mm -hmm. uh, a very nice residential town. And the homes were trading 150, 155,000 detached, three bedroom, four bedroom homes. And I'll never forget, uh, one of the brokers had listed a, a house in Westerly for 170,000. And I remember thinking, what a fool. Who would ever, ever pay $170,000 for a home in Westerly? Fast forward 20, 25 years, you can't touch anything for less than six, 700,000 in Westerly, right? Um, but it's not all lollipops and sunshine in, in real estate either. There's an ebb and a flow to this thing and there's a cycle and there are market shifts. So I was wondering, um, as, as you're analyzing where to make your next play and you're debating uh, which asset classes offer the most upside, are you contemplating you know, what, what we've been calling now for 10 years, the decentralization of real estate from the major cities? Is that factoring mm. into your decisioning? Uh, absolutely. As so long as there is a great, you know, obviously population growth, diverse economy, different industries there, um, we don't care uh, as long as it's, you know, at least, uh, let's say 150,000 population within a metro area. Um, so, and to, in today's world, I think that diversification is important, you know, for that next cycle. Um, and, you know, there's two different thoughts for, you know, but some people want to focus on a specific asset class. Today, I think it's important to diversify once something hits the fan within the next few years, at least some of your asset classes should, you know, maintain its value and continue to be stable versus everything coming down. Like, you know, some office in some metro areas are going through right now. So that's just, my train of thought today. So it is so refreshing to hear somebody recognize that it is going to hit the fan in the next few years. So <laughs> I hope people are well, recognizing you know, that. No, you know what's happening now, Steph, is, is the more and more people we're talking to, um, they're falling into the trap of buying a payment, right? They're, they're looking at these super attractive rates 
and they're looking at these secondary markets and tertiary markets that are emerging and they're so drawn in by the, the low buy-in because of the interest rate um, and the robust rental at this point that they're not contemplating, okay, but what's, what's next, right? For those of us who've been in the business long enough, we understand 95% occupancy is not the norm and you do have um, serious stretches, years and years where those occupancies roll back and as occupancy rolls back, rents drop and as rent drops, you have to be more competitive and invest more in your asset to make it more attractive. Uh, but folks are, are not looking at that as vigilantly as I think we should be. Um, you know, I'm a pretty big believer in 2024 I think second or third quarter of 2024 into 2025, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be in for a rough, a rough stretch here for a number of different reasons. Mm. Um, what are you, what are you forecasting? What do you see? Uh, as my mentor likes to say, I've been forecasting the last, the next downturn since 2016. So I, I'm the last person that will know these things. I thought last year would have been a disaster. Sold a lot of stocks sadly everything quadrupled because the government printed so much money um how can we predict sadly i'm not in that position uh i do not know so none of us know right and, and we <laughs> certainly can't pretend that we know but we can we can venture our best guesses so you know what what we're seeing is as people are buying these these payments the institutional yeah. money, the big money is still on the sidelines. Like the big yeah. banks, they're not lending. Um, and what's happening is these opportunity funds or these mid-market funds, they're filling that gap. And bridge money that was 10 and 11% is now 7%. And it's creating, um, you know, it, it's close enough to where the institutional rates were, at least, to keep this thing moving forward. But it's all short-term money. None of this is 10, 15, 20 year money. It's all short term money. And when that money comes due and those notes come due, somebody's got to be there to knock them back out and refinance them. Uh, and I think that's where we're going to run into some trouble. So um, as we, we, we can't continue to print money in perpetuity, I think that uh, the, the feeling out there is people are now starting to, everyone at first loves the idea of printing money, right? Checks are coming in and everybody yeah. feels good. And, you know, we're buying Reeboks and watches when we should be buying real estate and people feel good about it. But that starts to catch up when you see it at the consumer level, when you see the price at the pump going up and the price of milk going up and the price of eggs going up, that's when people start to pull back. And I think that we're starting to have that feeling in the country now, and that will eventually translate into new policy and, and that will slow down. And when it does slow down, hold on to your hats, folks, because I think it's going to be an interesting, an interesting time. But if you're well positioned and you keep some powder dry, I think you'll be able to do a lot of damage during that time as well. So let's, let's forget about the future then. Let's talk about now. What asset classes are you bullish in? Uh, definitely self-storage, um, maybe car washes. I still haven't decided if I would do another one, another one again, but there are a lot of ways to add value in car washes. Um, uh, but definitely self-storage, it has been proven over and over again that it is um, recession resistant, uh, even last year. And um, recently, short-term rentals, you know, these numbers look great. 
uh, depending on where you buy. And everyone that is doing short-term rental is very happy, everyone that I know. Um, and their returns are pretty, pretty incredible. So uh, self-storage, again, you're not, you're not buying like a stabilized portfolio where national tenants are occupying and paying a lease. You're actually buying the business. Correct. Yes. Okay. And on the short-term rentals, are we talking about like Airbnbs, mm -hmm. that, that portfolio? Okay. Yes. So <clears throat> short-term rentals now um, make a lot of sense as inflation creeps up, right? It was um, the holy grail, at least out here, was those longer-term commercial leases that had, you know, decent paper behind them. Uh, and if you had built yourself in 2% or 10% every five, or if you were lucky, 3% annual increases, you felt real good about it. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, as inflation uh, creeps in, uh, absent some sort of CPI reset on those leases, which is very difficult to get, um, we're technically facing a period where while the, the rents may be coming in and the debt service is coveraged, is covered, we're still actually losing money in those those assets year over year. Yeah, yeah even with 3% increases. So are you staying away from the long-term leases completely? Yes, yeah. I never wanted to ever even dab into multifamily and just came into short-term because a friend of mine told me the numbers and I said, wow, those are incredible numbers. And so I'm just dabbing on my first couple right now for fun. <laughs> So would, would you feel comfortable sharing what, what, what numbers you're seeing? What kind of returns you're seeing? Absolutely. Um, so just did the math uh, for uh, I, my first purchase was four months ago. And so far is a 30% cash on cash, wow. including all the furniture and everything else. And what type of asset was that? A single family. Okay. And now you're, you're, enjoying some success here, a lot of success here. Um, as you, as our eyes get wide, as they tend to do, right? What, what's next for Stephanie on the horizon? What are you looking to, to step into next? Yeah, just uh, I'm analyzing always uh, self-storage facilities uh, where there is some upside there for increasing rents uh, or building new uh, units. So that uh, has been my focus uh, over the last uh, several and, months and you're looking to to scale yes definitely mm -hmm. okay so do, do you have any plans for that any ideas of an offering or what that would look like uh an actual property we have not identified a property today uh we're always analyzing whatever is available um so when it when that happens uh we're going to potentially do a syndication depending depending on the how large the deal is Okay, so uh, I, I think it may make sense for us to talk three, through the, the differences for some of the folks out there of, of a syndication uh, versus doing like a traditional raise. So my sense is, Stephanie, that you're going to identify the next asset at scale price-wise, right? So the mm -hmm. idea is to step it up in, in class for strike price and then is it a friends and family raise or what, what type of a raise are you going to, are you going to target? Uh, probably friends and family because people have been knowing that I've been doing this for a while now. 
and uh, quite a few people reached out saying, "Hey, when you have a when you have a deal, let me know." Uh, so I, hopefully, I'll be able to raise the whole thing through friends and family. Sounds good. So, can you tell the audience a little bit about Monte Carlo Real Estate? Uh, how exactly did it like? What, what what was the genesis? How did it start? Uh, well, I just wanted to do something on my own and decided to leave the sales life and started this investment firm. And um, at some point, we're going to start doing syndications. I wanted to do a few deals on my own to show people that, you know, we can make these, these numbers are great. And here they are. It's not just, oh, I don't have any experience and just give me some money. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> That was the goal at some point, you know, scale through syndications. How many deals have you taken down to this point? Um, it's around five, six, seven, more or less. And are you uh, investing in just a local market or are you bouncing around? Uh, right now, remotely. Uh, so I'm investing in Texas right now. In Texas. Mm -hmm. So when you're identifying... Um, a market to invest in. I think that's another challenge that um, the, the digital world has given us the tools to connect in a real meaningful way uh, to these sub-markets. But there's something about being able to touch and feel the investment and not being able to touch and feel the investment, right? Having boots <laughs> on the ground or not having boots on the ground. Yeah. So uh, are there any particular metrics that you're looking at when you're considering an MSA? Uh, well, population growth, different industries, um, strong, you know, a business sense. <laughs> uh, unlike California, uh, Texas, Florida, and, you know, a few other states have, are very business friendly. Um, and yeah, those are the major things that uh, come to mind. Um, but, you know, team is always so important. So that's one thing that I would, always recommend how are, how are, is it just, you know, a blue collar city because that will become very difficult for you to get professional people to work for you. Uh, obviously not impossible, but it just becomes harder. Uh, so these are some of the things you should be thinking about talking from experience. So are you using like a, a secret sauce? Are you, uh, you know, looking at different metrics and, and using, of course, some of just your innate ability to size up a market and size up a deal? Or, or is there any particular software or programs that you're looking at when you're contemplating a different market? Uh, I'm not using software right now. I just do some Google searches. I talk to people. I, have, I know quite a few people in the real estate field. Um, and, you know, there are some websites out there that you can find what um, I really forgot the name, but it's like what kind of industries are in that city. Uh, it's all freely available to, to anybody. I do not have a specific uh, software that I use. Um, I had found a phenomenal company before, um, but they're no longer doing this type of business. But I'm sure there are other ones out there where they tell you which home you should buy based on so many other metrics within a specific city. So they look at even, you know, people's Instagrams, how many blue French bulldogs are being posted on Instagram in this area? How many scooters or bird scooters are, you know, in this area? And they find, they used to find um, 
lower priced homes in really good up and coming areas, but they're not doing that right now. But I'm sure there are uh, other websites that are starting to do that uh, at this point. So something that, um, again, we've been talking about and I, I heard you hit on it a little earlier, uh, legislative threats. <laughs> that might be the single uh, largest driving factor for us is what type of legislation is on the horizon? What type of legislation are they currently passing? Um, because it, it is having a profound impact on investment strategies up here in the Northeast, a profound impact. You're seeing the same in California? Oh, yeah. California is not business friendly at all. Um, but, you know, there are obviously a lot of very successful people that um, work around these things or they know, you know, what they should be focusing on. I have not uh, learned, uh, you know, how to add value in a multifamily property in California when you have rent control and a few other things. You cannot kick people out, <laughs> uh, you know. And so it's just, what you want to focus on and there are obviously always ways to add value but you know things can come along that can completely destroy your business like there was a proposition to uh for the property taxes to become current pricing but instead of what you paid for for commercial that will kill i heard a particular winery was saying we're going to be dead if this passes we cannot afford a new tax base <laughs> if so, that regulation passes and they're not the only one there are so many other people that own these buildings for several years that are paying a lower tax base so it's not uh for the audience it's it's not a, about a cold or a callous strategy it, it, it's about you know in, in these bigger cities the the reason that investors hang in and the reason that they stick around is plain and simple. It comes down to the opportunity and the rate of return, right? And yeah. what's happened, unfortunately, is the pendulum has swung so far back that that opportunity is weaning and the risk just is, is now outweighing the potential upside uh, of investing here in, in New York. Uh, and and we're, we're excited that there's new leadership um, a uh, new governor uh, that that seems to be saying all the right things, and and we know they have a great a uh, great team around them that we're very bullish on, and a new mayor inbound in New York City. Uh, we're hoping that we see uh, a shift in in some of the policies. For example, uh, the Opportunity Zone is a great vehicle mm -hmm. to defer taxes, spur investment, yeah. uh, and enter into new markets. So in New York. They passed legislation decoupling from the federal benefit. <laughs> so if you put money into a QOZB and you were making an investment here, just like that, they decoupled from the federal benefit and you no longer get the deferment benefit on your taxes. So what's happened is because the the opportunity zone is very flexible the the rules are it's not like a 1031 exchange it doesn't go to an escrow agent you have control over your own money 
um, there's a lot more flexibility and freedom. And what's happening are people are going back, amending returns, and they're just buying elsewhere. We're seeing massive amounts of money fly out of the state into opportunity zones all around us, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, exploding. Uh, the development is amazing with the, the money mm -hmm. that's funneling in there. You know, those are the types of changes that, that are giving investors great pause. You talked about self-storage. Self-storage was a great industry here. And mm. our previous governor last year um, in the budget removed any tax abatement if you were self-storage. Mm -hmm. And wow. real estate taxes, as you are well aware, if you're in a major city uh, and you're dependent upon an ICAP or you're dependent upon a 20-year significant mitigation of taxes, that's the inducement, right? People mm -hmm. don't understand why should they get a benefit. The reason they should get a benefit is because they're investing, in many cases, tens of millions of dollars to acquire the asset and to develop it. And when you took that inducement out, we saw a long, healthy pipeline of self-storage companies that were fixing to break ground and come to New York, and they just shut it off. It's a 20-year hit to your cash flow. Yeah. It, it just, it's just so mind-boggling how they can change the rules on us just like that on property that is ours. And it's just, yeah, that's another conversation. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's another conversation, but it's 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 sound advice for those of you out there that mm -hmm. are looking to to invest. Make sure that you are looking at the the local council, the local whatever the governing entity is, um, where you're looking to make the investment and get a, a real good understanding of uh, what the temperature is. Are they passing things like good cause eviction, which I think is disastrous, uh, well-intended, but mm -hmm. disastrous uh, ramifications? Uh, are they, or are they passing uh, legislation that's business friendly? And, and it's, you know, it, when I started to do business out of, out of New York City, uh, Stephanie, the first deal I had, it was a, a beautiful land deal in South Carolina. It was mm -hmm. uh, 316, I don't remember the units, it was several hundred units. And I was so programmed to the way we do business in New York that when we flew down to meet with the, the owners after we had had some negotiation through our intermediaries, uh, we sat down for lunch and they literally began drafting a contract at the table. Mm. Now, where I come from, we retreat to our camp, you retreat to yours, mm. and we start battling this, you know, uh, yeah. crazy- All the terms and conditions. Oh, several hundred page <laughs> contract for a deal of that of that size, right? Yeah. We have shopping centers here. Uh, our leases, basic leases for a 2,000 square foot tenant. We just uh, reviewed this in, in one of the deals that we're involved in. And somehow we ended up with an 89 page lease for a nail salon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 89 page lease. And it's like, how does that even happen, right? So, you know, you go in and, and you, you think, well... We can make this reasonable uh, and we can cut this down to 10 pages for a, a, a non-corporate, non-credit, you know, and yeah. there's there's just so many trip hazards. We trimmed it down to 28 or 29 pages, but still 30 pages for a nail salon. It just, it, it, I, I don't know how we got here, but I do know to get back to my story that this is not how they do it elsewhere. 
Mm. And it was my first first venture out of state. And I blew it candidly because as they started drafting language, literally with a pad and a pen and we're sitting down over a meal, my antennas went up and I went, wait a minute. Do, do you think you have the stupid New Yorker here that you're going to, you know, there, there's something I'm missing with this site, right? Has to be that we couldn't possibly draw up a contract over a meal, right? Where are the attorneys and where's, you know, all the trip hazards and searches. And I blew it because I was so programmed and I was so ready to fight. And I very quickly learned that there are really business friendly places out there. There are places where you can make these deals and, and perform exceptionally well. Uh, and it just doesn't have this high level uh, of scrutiny. Um, so again, uh, I got off on a bit of a tangent there, but, but you know, as the, some of the, the typologies you had mentioned, uh, car washes, same thing, actually, as I'm thinking about it, uh, they started to pass restrictions where uh, you, you couldn't do it unless there were certain infrastructure elements that were there and we mm -hmm. started to see car washes disappear. So mm -hmm. you're, you're using um, good old fashioned common sense. You're, you're taking a look <laughs> at what you're finding out on the websites and, and you're kind of piecing this together. So um, I have not done many deals where we bought the real estate and bought the business. We have bought businesses separate. We have bought real estate separate. Uh, I'm curious if if there's ever been a deal where you absolutely love the dirt, but you couldn't get through some of the nuance of the business and you had to pass. Uh, thankfully, not yet. Uh, but sometimes I do think of selling the car washes, honestly. <laughs> and but I am in the process of delegating as much as possible to people and creating you know, the whole infrastructure for me to have the least amount of work as possible. I just needed some time to learn the business and take phone calls and all of that and really understand what's behind it and how I should program you know, the, the management from my end. And when, when you're taking these pieces down, um, I assume the old owners stay on for a period of time? Yeah, very good point too, which is definitely something that everybody, if they're thinking of buying a car wash to, if you're local, have the owner at least available for six months. If you're not local through a full, you know, four seasons, if you have, you're in a city with four seasons because there is snow and there's other, other things that come into play that, you know, you need to be aware of what to do. Um, so yes, you should definitely put that in your contract. And are you, um, sometimes the ledger doesn't quite match the cash register. Mm -hmm. uh, are you making provisions for any types of clawback or are you escrowing a certain amount if in fact sales don't match? How, how are you managing that? Uh, no, I did not. We just asked for the tax returns uh, when we were doing our due diligence. And so far it's been matching. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So um, any other uh, thoughts or tips that we could share with the audience if they're, they're thinking about, uh, you know, getting in the game and, and, and taking down some deals, particularly deals where there's a, a, a living, thriving business attached to it. If you had to offer one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah. For new asset classes, go to a industry specific conference first before getting into that asset class. 
you meet so many people, you meet all the vendors, you figure out which vendor is the best. You'll be able to find mentors, you know, people that you can call and say, hey, what about this? What about that? That is the one thing I did not do for the car washes that I would 100% recommend people do. That is great advice. Um, any books that stand out that you've read recently that you think may be of value? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking out on the name. There was one really good one for investments. Um, if you can give me a second, I can find it or uh, we can just yeah. So something else. <laughs> so, no, what we'll do is, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but maybe offline, if you could shoot us a note, we'll yeah. include it in the, in the links below. I know that yeah. on the spot, there's so many books, the title, <laughs> the authors, yeah, right? Everything's exactly. to blur together. Uh, and how about any, any podcasts or anything that stand out or, or is it just find something that's relevant in the industry and, and run it down that way? Uh, I was listening to Joe Fairless in the beginning and, you know, found myself storage mentor through that. Um, so it, it's, you'd not only learn about multifamily if that's your thing, but um, I did find really good people there. Great. Uh, so before I let you go, I just uh, I'd like to get a sense of the, of the other side of, of the guest. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, when you're not in real estate, right? What, what are some of your passions, some things you enjoy to do when you're not working 20 hours a day, I'm sure. Uh, I am a big foodie by also just by living here where I live in San Francisco. So I love going out to eat at good restaurants around here, meet friends, meet family, go hiking. So. And how's, how's the business doing out there? Are, are restaurants hanging in there? Are they doing okay? Uh, some did not survive, uh, sadly, um, but a few of them did. Yeah, we, we, we lost quite a few really great eateries oh, out here also. Um, heartbreaking. It, it is. This was, there was no right answer. Uh, when you go through difficult times like this, there's no right answer. And, and we don't like to, to you know, um, look back and, and judge, but it, it did seem like there was an awful lot of wrong answers that seem to be pretty apparent. So we're hoping that, um, you know, we're, we're learning and, and we're headed in the right direction. You know, we were talking with uh, a restaurant operator uh, maybe a week ago or 10 days ago, and they're really struggling. And this was, this was a, a really successful uh, restaurant. I won't mention the name, but, you know, they had said, James, it's, it's so hard for me to uh, sit down. And I was watching a, a football game I think he had said it was uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. And he had said, you know, they had opened a new stadium and, and there was 50, 60, 70,000 people. And it's Vegas, right? So these are people from everywhere, right? Yeah. And there wasn't a mask to be yeah. found. And I'm not advocating yes mask, no mask. I'm trying <laughs> to, to convey the plight of a oh local business operator. And yeah. he said, here I am and, and I can't sell my product unless someone has basically a, a license to come in and, and patronize my establishment. Yet I'm watching in another state, 70,000 people shoulder to shoulder, yep. screaming, yelling, cheering. And again, he wasn't advocating that was yep. right or wrong. His issue was the inequity and the imbalance. That's where <sighs> the challenge lied. So 
look, these are tough times, but uh, we, we, we do our best to figure it out. I love that you're supporting local restaurants. Uh, again, folks, Stephanie's got a great podcast, uh, Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z. They're nice, uh, to the point, 17, 18 minute to 20, 25 minute episodes. Great guests packed with information. Steph, what's the best way for people to find you? Uh, I mean, all the social media, LinkedIn and everything else, uh, or my website, monicarlorei.com. All right, Stephanie Baldrini, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, James. Great, great interview. Thank you. As always, everyone, stay safe.